Busy Birds. Welcome to another episode of Mama Earth Talk. I'm your host, Maris Ganal. Realizing just how much waste we generate on a daily basis, I've set a personal goal not only to reduce, reuse, and recycle, but to also educate the world about sustainability and how each of us can help preserve our beautiful planet. Thanks for listening. Let's dig in. Our guest today is an inspirational woman and the glue that holds Team Angel Wolf together. Her son, Rio, was diagnosed with 1Q44 delection, de Nova syndrome, which caused him many disabilities, but this has not stopped Rio from inclusive racing as part of Team Angel Wolf. In the last four years, Rio has now covered 5,820 kilometers by being included in the swimming, cycling, running, tower climbs, and obstacles in the races. He has now covered a distance further than Dubai to London. Crazy birds, without any further ado, I would like to welcome Delphine Watson. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. You're most welcome. So Delphine, how did your sustainable journey actually start? I've been thinking about that and I really think it was due to Rio coming into my life. I think Rio coming into my life brought a whole new perspective on life in general, realizing that life was more than just us. It brought a new layer of empathy. It just made life bigger and trying to see what my duty is in the world. And then because of Rio, we started looking at giving back to community and we started meeting more people in non-profit kind of directions. And a lot of those people were environmental groups. So then when you're surrounded by those sort of people, then you start learning by them and influenced by them. And so little by little, it's just kind of gone from there. So I think it really came down to Rio. And so you said that Rio was diagnosed. At what age and how did that happen? And can you tell us maybe a little bit more about that whole experience? That whole diagnostic journey was a long journey because when we didn't know anything was wrong until Rio was about six months old. I remember looking at him one night, he was just lay on his play mat. And I said to my husband, I think something is wrong. And he turned around to me and goes, well, maybe take him to the doctor. And I was like, well, I can't take him to the doctor because there's nothing wrong with him. He's not, not got flu. He's not got a fever. He's not, it's not ill. But I just felt something was not right. So I kind of thought, you know, maybe I'm just being neurotic. Leave it. Then the next day, um, my husband was actually bathing him. He shouted me quickly to come into the bathroom. And Rio had gone blue and floppy and lifeless. I just saw my son who looked like like a, a baby that was dying and it was we didn't know what had happened it was horrific he was just blue and so we um we called for an ambulance but that took a while so there was a hospital down the road so we quickly got him kind of all wrapped up and we went down to the local hospital the time we got there he he was like normal as if nothing had ever happened and it was like thinking well Something happened, I didn't understand what. And then um, the hospital checked him, said he's fine, took him home, got him home. Next morning, same thing happened again. Then I took him down to see the pediatrician and they said, well, maybe this is a seizure. So the journey started basically from there. From there, they said, look, I think you should go back to, we were in Dubai at the time, and this is 15 years ago. And they said, look, go back to Great Ormond Street Hospital in the UK. It's a children's hospital. Let them have a look at all areas about him and see what we can figure out from there. They just turned around and said, look, you know, it's probable Rio has some form of seizure disorder. 
and he has global development delays. But to get an exact diagnosis, you know, nothing's come up. We don't know at the moment. And it's highly, be prepared that you may never get a diagnosis. There's more children out there without a diagnosis than with a diagnosis. But we went back every year and did more tests and think nothing came up. And then when I was pregnant with Tia, my daughter, because they told me, look, there's no problem getting pregnant again. Whatever he's got would not be a genetical thing to worry about. So when I eventually got pregnant with her, I went back to the UK again, did a test, and they didn't know I was pregnant. And they said, oh, look, from the EEG, it looks like Angelman syndrome. And I said, oh, great, what's that? And they said, oh, it's a chromosomal problem on chromosome 15. I'm like, but I'm pregnant. And I could see their faces drop and panic. And I was like, oh, no, what's wrong? And they said, look, there's a, a percentage chance that this could be a genetical problem. And, you know, let's... And so they very quickly sent um, Rio's DNA around the world to see if they could prove it was angel man syndrome. And at that point, I was 10 weeks pregnant. And when all the results came in, I was about 18, 19 weeks pregnant. And they said, look, we cannot find a marker to prove Rio has this condition. 30% chance, and there's um, a 30% chance it might reoccur, but we don't know. It's a case of, we'll have to wait till your daughter comes and we watch her and see if she has seizures and see if the same issues, mm -hmm. which kind of really threw a spanner and everything because we thought, you know, this is, you know, we've gone for this journey with Rio. I mean, we were wanting it like a bit of experience of everyone that everyone else has with children. Yeah. Tia came along and we spent six months just watching her. You know, I was going to pediatric physios to check her as a baby. Is everything okay? And I was really paranoid. Is she having a seizure? Is she okay? And then by six months, we knew she was okay. Before Tia was born, I always remember the genetics doctor saying, look, I've got um, a friend who works in a lab in Paris and they're doing research on genetics testing. Can we send Rio's DNA? Forget about it because it'll be maybe months or years before mm. they can do anything, but it's a new form of testing. So I said, okay. And then when Tia was about six months old, I remember getting all these missed calls from the genetics doctor from the middle of the night. And I called him the next day saying, what's wrong? He goes, oh, we, great. We found this um, micro deletion. We think we know what Rio's got. It's nothing to do with Angelman syndrome. This is called 1Q44 deletion de novo syndrome. I was like, well, what's that? And he said it's on chromosome one, arm Q, area 44 has a very, very small area. It's deleted. We'd already tested it in a normal lab when you last came in. Nothing came up, mm. but this test looks in micro deletion. And we found this deletion. Because I need to test you and your husband. If neither of you have it, then we know this is what Rio's condition is. So we had to have our blood tested and neither of us have it. So it's not been an inherited, that's why it's called de novo, because it's not come from family, so it can't be carried on. Mm. It's just one of those things when Rio's created, it wasn't there. And we found out that's what his condition, and it's really quite rare. There's not that many children who have been diagnosed with it. And there seems to be quite a few children with this condition that had been misdiagnosed with Angelman syndrome, oddly, because they're showing same, similar characteristics. So it's... Uh, it was an interesting journey. So if you would explain to some of our listeners that has never heard about Rio or your family, so what exactly is this and how has it affected your family life? It's not easy, but Rio is an incredibly happy boy that lives in the now. So, I mean, he's, he's teaching us a lot as being human. It's quite amazing what he is teaching us. But on the difficulty side, he, he still wears nappies or diapers, if you prefer. He's 15. Communication is very difficult for him. He, he wouldn't be able to say a sentence. We can get maybe two words together. But even though he can't talk, he can sing. So he will recite songs that he's heard and he'll sing all day long. If the world was a musical, he'd fit in perfectly. He'd be very <laughs> happy. His favorite books, like children's stories, like The Gruffalo was his favorite book as a child. And he'll sit and tell me about The Gruffalo all day long. So he can put a lot of words together, but it's from memory rather than um, trying to process a sentence. 
He has fine and gross motor delays. So he can walk, but he won't be able to go far. And he has a different walk to most people. Fine motor skills are very difficult for him. He has sensory integration dysfunction. So there's a lot of sensory issues and seizures. But he's happy. I mean, he lives in the now. I said, when we race, it's, you know, what he did yesterday, he doesn't care about what he's doing tomorrow. He doesn't care. It's here and now. You know, if something doesn't make him happy that moment, he'll express it. But then he goes on to the next moment and he's happy. You know, he's forgotten and he carries on and he's moved on. And Something that that more of us could do as well, like live in the now. Exactly. And I, that's, that's why I look at him and think, you've got so much to teach me. And it's, you know, the filters are completely different and, you know, it's in a better way. So your husband, Nick, and Rio actually did their first race together in November 2014. So what inspired your family to take on the challenge of doing triathlons like with Rio? When um, I was pregnant with Rio, Nick, my husband, actually did the most ultimate triathlon. It's the uh, world champions Ironman. So it was like the long distance race, but it was in Hawaii. And I was pregnant with Rio at the time. At that point, obviously, we didn't know anything you know, was wrong for him. And uh, I remember when Nick finished, he always said, oh, I can't wait for my son to be born. You know, what got me for this race that one day we're going to race triathlons together, you know, and that was what inspired him. And then when we came back to Dubai, you know, work take over, life took over and he didn't do so many triathlons. And we kind of, you know, I realized sometimes that we maybe not that you do the wrong things, but you, you know, work takes over and you see you're not doing what's best for you as, mm. as a family and health wise. And you just get stuck in that trap of doing, you know, what, what you're told you have to do. And then Nick and I were training together. We didn't do that. We did exercise, but it wasn't for races and things. And then I remember one day I was training with Nick and he, he, he didn't seem as strong as normal or he was he getting tired and he goes, oh, I'm not feeling so good. I think I should just get a checkup. And then that led to find out he had a six centimeter tumor in his colon. Wow. And they said, look, we need to get this out ASAP. Literally within a week, he was having major surgery to have this whole tumor removed. And when he woke up and he said, I have to do an Ironman again. And literally he'd signed up to do Barcelona Ironman. I was like, okay, you know, it's not normally the first thing you think <laughs> about coming out of surgery. But, you know, he, he's almost like being touched by angels when he came out. His whole life had changed, his perspective. And he suddenly went and said, I have to be vegan. I've been vegetarian since I was eight years old. And I always knew I kind of should be vegan because dairy never really, really agreed with me very well. But it was my whole family ate meat and fish and dairy. So it was just easiest option to kind of half ground. But he goes, right, I want to be vegan. So that was great for me. So we all went vegan. And it was like, <laughs> yeah, you lost. So everything had kind of changed at that point. But then again, work, life got in the way. He didn't get the training he wanted. And um, he just knew he wouldn't have been able to get to Barcelona and make it at that point. He was getting a bit down. And I said, well, why don't you try it with Rio? And because we'd seen... Years ago, there's a family back in the 70s and 80s called Team Hoyt that had done something similar. A man had um, raced with with his um, son and different conditions to Rio, but it always been an inspiration to us, not realizing what was ahead of us, but this is before we got married. And he goes, okay. So then he started looking up for people that helped because we knew we needed a certain amount of equipment to do this. It wasn't going to be as easy as doing mm. that. We'd need a boat that Nick could swim and pull Rio in. He'd need a special bike that Rio could sit in and then um, a chair to push him in. I mean, there was a race coming in Dubai in that November. So we've managed to find a company that helped us get it all. And then literally only two weeks before the race, it all arrived. So wow. we've not been able to practice. We didn't know Rio was going to like this. So it's like, okay. Because basically they had to do a 1.9 kilometer swim, 90 kilometer bike and a 21 kilometer run. 
Wow. And, yeah, and this was going to be like a six, seven hour race. And we didn't know how, you know, Rio loves movement, but I didn't know would he last that long. Yeah. You know, so our, our thing was, if Rio wasn't happy, he stops. Yeah. So, but let's see what goes on. But literally, we didn't have that much time to practice. They went out there. Rio absolutely loved it. And then they got to the finish line and Rio started, because he uses signs a lot as well. He's signing more and more and tried to push the wheel to go on. <laughs> so he was like, wow, Rio really loves this. So he signed up to do... Um, proper Ironman, half Ironman, 70.3 race in the in Dubai in the following year. So then it kind of, we did that one, Rio loved it. And then it just kind of flowed from there. And then since then, nearly every weekend we've been racing. But what kind of developed us to create Team Angel Wolf from that as well is that, again, stuff happened with work. We had a quite, a few, quite a few traumas happen within family and with work. And it kind of crumbled us down to rock bottom, really rock bottom. And it was like, what do we do? Do we just lie down and crumble? Or do we try and reinvent ourselves, pick ourselves up? And I think we realized Rio had kind of helped path our destiny. He's the one that always put us back onto this road because he would start saying race, race, and wanting us to do it. And we saw oh, that wow. you know, we'd found his passion in life. And that's amazing because it's very difficult when you mm. have a child with disabilities to find a thing that their purpose, well, what are they there to do during the day? Because we all need a purpose to do something. And that obviously became his. And we thought, well, maybe we could help other children have this much pleasure. You know, we can see it with Rio or maybe other people would like to experience what Nick was doing. So then from there, we said when everything was kind of crumbling down, okay, what are our priorities? And we realized it's family, it's community, it's love, it's, it's teamwork. So we then decided what are our four missions with Team Angel Wolf? Again, we created the name Team Angel Wolf because Rio, we call nickname our angel, and Tia, we nickname Little Wolf because <laughs> she's just like a little wild <laughs> creature that runs around, swings and everything. So it's like, it's so fitting. So, okay, this is about family, so we'll try and name it after the family in some way. And it's a team because it's always a team effort. Mm. So we kind of made four mission statements, and our first one was to bring awareness about inclusion and to, to make people more aware about people with disabilities and what mm. they can do and how they can be included. The second one was to show the importance of teamwork and family because we can't do what we do or Nick can't do it without my help or Tia's help. And now Tia races with Rio. She can't do it without our support. Mm. And we realized in life, everyone needs to remember the importance of family like we had to when we kind of got to rock bottom. It kind of, that was our priority. And teamwork, we all need to work as a team or things don't work. Exactly. And then it was to show the importance of health and inspiration of health and in health to us wasn't just your physical health it's your mental health it's your environmental health it's you know the whole structure of health and we thought if we go out and what we do or people following us as a family and things we do that can inspire people to make a change and to brace and think well they can do that I can do this exactly you know so that that was that and then the last one was to try and show people you can make a difference on the planet doesn't have to be what we're doing it doesn't have to be about people with disabilities it might be to do with the environment it might be to um, help animals it's whatever your point is try and make a change even if it's small yeah and I mean you guys have you know had such an impact here already with all the stuff that you guys are doing and to create more awareness you guys just came back from a big challenge there's a few things that you guys actually did in the last few weeks and so one of it was actually seven triathlons in seven Emirates in seven days. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit more about that whole experience? It was a bit more than seven triathlons. It was seven half Ironmans. So basically, oh, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
so when, when it's like he was doing a one it's like a 70.3 triathlon so it was a 1.9 kilometer swim 90 kilometer cycle and then he did the run as a 20k run and a 1k wow. inclusive walk that everyone could join but he basically did that every day in every emirate in dubai and the seven of them for seven consecutive days wow why we did it is one to keep rio happy because every day he's asking to race so it's like <laughs> okay tick that box we've done that for you we're fulfilling his passion but the other reason is that nick's always wanted to do this but it's when and how and mm. the great thing was before we did this, it was the Special Olympics World Games held in Abu Dhabi. And we'd um, come in contact with them a year before the World Games started. And we'd, um, with a pure honour, they'd um, asked us, it was an honour for us for, um, to be an ambassador for them. We were thinking, this is a great opportunity if we can do it with the Special Olympics to carry their flag to help promote what they're doing. And then to do our mission of, of, of this challenge, because we called it hashtag try with Rio. Oh. So it was, um, yeah, so people could follow it that way team from the special olympics kind of came around with us followed us for the seven days because we were really road tripping the whole time we'd go to one emirate we'd start at seven in the morning or a bit earlier then we would take seven hours or so and then we literally have to pack everything up drive to the next emirate wow. to, and then the time we were getting to bed it was like 11 o'clock sometimes it could be an hour an hour and a half drive between each one check into a hotel clean all our equipment do our social media, get Rio fed, give Rio's medicine and my daughter as well. I look after them, get them to bed. And they were long days and the weather was terrible. We had, weather in Dubai is always beautiful, but that week we had really strong wind every single day. We had rain, we had sandstorms. It was rough sea. All challenges. It was, there were many challenges in those seven days, but you know, however much it was difficult for Nick and it was difficult for Nick, but Rio smiled for out at all. And when it was horrendous weather, Rio just saw that as a positive. To him, it was a beautiful sensory, you know, the wind against his face. He just smiled and he sang the whole way. And wow. um, and when, when we did the route around the seven emirates, it was also the same route as in which emirate we, we did in turn as you know, when they have the torch flame. Okay. You know, the Olympic torch flame that wow. goes around each emirate. We followed that as well. So it was... Um, in conjunction with them so it kind of followed the story and they had a, a media team with them that were helping doing a videography of the trip and that's amazing yeah. so you've mentioned about the special olympics and i mean we obviously just literally weeks ago it ended so at the event itself were you guys doing anything there as well with rio did he attend any of the stuff or well as, as ambassadors we before the event we we did a lot of things with the special okay. olympics the world games team so they did a lot of um, inclusive walks before the events we'd always go to those always talk about the special olympics and do things mm. with them we went to the opening ceremony and, and nick went to the closing ceremony so rio was at those and he got to go to watch many of the events Rio wasn't physically involved in doing the games, but he was there, you know, to watch and Support help that him. way. And it was, uh, it was the most amazing, amazing week. It was emotional. Great to see be people's perspective changed by watching you. Maybe not been around people with intellectual disabilities before. Mm. So that was really interesting seeing that shift and change in awareness and perspective. That was, that was lovely to witness. But just watching the athletes, like Nick and I were discussing it afterwards. It was a week of learning what being a human being is all about 
and what being an athlete is about. You know, from my perspective, because in races, I'm in the transition area a lot in races. So I have to change Rio when he's coming in from a swim to mm. bike. I'm there changing his nappy. I'm getting him ready and feeding him. And, and I get to see all the athletes coming in and out. And understandably, you know, a lot of the athletes are very stressed or can be in bad mood or something's not right. And, you know, they get angry at people. And, and I understand that completely. Why? But when you watched the Special Olympics, it was full of happiness. There was no stress. I remember one of the volunteers saying to one of the athletes, oh, are you nervous? And he kind of turned around and frowned and went, why would I be nervous? I'm excited. <laughs> and there was no one saying, well, why would I be nervous? And it was just people were dancing before their races and there was excitement. And if it didn't wow. go so well, there was I, I didn't see any negativity. Everyone was like, oh, I know. And they're just so happy. And there was a gratitude of being there and embracing it. And I thought... This is what's being an athlete is all about. They're giving their best, they're doing it, and you know, they worked hard for it and they're there. And That's it's, wonderful. you know, they're working, even though racing against each other, there still was a team atmosphere. Everyone, it was, it was just a beautiful, and it was just showing what being a human is about. And then we yeah. again got a lot to learn. Wow. Yeah, definitely. When I look at your family as well, there's a lot of things that your family has changed in recent years to become more sustainable. Like, you know, you've previously mentioned Nick going all vegan after his... Um, his all of us did. Yeah. All, well, <laughs> he made all the, of you did. You were just vegetarian. He gave permission. I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> My life's easy now. I can do it. And you also live in the sustainable city in Dubai. Why would you say that living a vegan lifestyle and also living a more sustainable lifestyle is kind of important for you guys as a family? I feel I owe it to my children and future generations. I, I, I have this guilt and not just sustainability, but many things is, is our society attitude on things. And I know, I know change is coming, but yeah, I have a guilt of, of what we've left our children and future generations to inherit. I think we've our generation and, and generations before has kind of maybe not purposely, but you know, because people weren't always aware at the time of what they've been doing, but have obviously caused a lot of mess. And we've mm -hmm. left that now to everyone else to clear up. I kind of lost hope with adults a bit. <laughs> and I kind of think it's, I see my daughter's generation, I see them as little warriors. And I kind of think, sadly, we've left it, it is up to them really and their children and all the next generation to clear up the mess we've done. And I think they're very empowered to do that. I think they're very strong-minded, more compassionate generations to do that. And it's, um, so I think it's our responsibility or with my family, I can't talk on behalf of our family, but for my family, I think it's my responsibility to help start that flow, to, to show the importance of sustainability, to talk about what the consequences are and what mm. we can do. And even it's little things, you know, helping living sustainable cities be massive, big step in that for us because, you know, composting is everywhere. You know, there's no excuse to have food waste because you have, if there's a, a garbage disposal in the sink, mm. there's composting. So there should be, you know, you've got recycling bins that separates everything greatly. So we have yeah. no excuse or waste that way. And then from there, you, we went to uh, Liquid for Life and got water filters on the tap. So, you know, as a family, we don't have to buy plastic bottles for water anymore. So it's little things, you know, that 
then becomes normal for our children. Exactly. And I mean, all of those little little steps actually help because just in recent months, I heard, you know, a really interesting quote where they basically said that, you know, we are the first generation to kind of know about climate change mm-hmm. and all of the stuff that kind of happens around it. But we might be the last generation to actually be able to do something about it before it gets too bad. So when you install things like this, you know, teaching your children how to be more sustainable from a young age, it becomes normal to them. And that's kind of their lifestyle. But yeah, unfortunately, not everyone <laughs> can do that. So that's great. I'm, I'm really, you know, with what all the stuff that you guys are doing, and I mean, just visiting you here today in your home here in Sustainable City, it's definitely there is a lot that people can do and it doesn't take that much of effort to do a lot of these things. Seeing okay, what might have not been normal is to do those things because we've come from a generation where you didn't do it. But mm. then for my daughter, that's completely normal. She wouldn't think, well, if you buy a plastic water, because why are you buying plastic? You know, we have our metal straws in our handbag and if someone brings a plastic straw, she's like, oh, a plastic straw. And I'm like, it's okay, it's the metal one. <laughs> and it's like, for her, that's right. Why would they do that? But, you know, it's, it's, and that's great. You see so many children like that. And it's, um, from our perspective, because our thing's always been about disability inclusion. And through our work, you know, Nick goes into schools and corporates and gives a talk to give awareness. But we're surrounded by other nonprofit associations who do environmental things. And, you know, they go to schools or corporates and do the same things. And we, we're around those people all the time. So we're, mm. you know, you're influenced. So you get that ripple effect because like our friends, you know, that that is what their work is about. That's what their language is about when you talk to them every day. So it does have effect on you. But then I think ourselves, you know, we like going to the grocery stores and you have your, um, you get your fruit and vegetables and you've got the cloth bags rather than using the plastic bags. And you can see people looking, thinking, what's she got? And then people have to stop me. Well, where did you buy that from? So it's like people I don't know, and I'm not there to lecture. I'm not going to tell anyone to do it, but it has a ripple effect. People watch and thinking, oh, I've been looking for those. So it's, I think, yeah, it's just little things, I suppose. So what would you say has been one of your most important decisions that you have made around Mama Earth? Moving to Sustainable City, I think, has made a huge difference as a family of sustainability for us because it was already here and it was was very easy for us because it was here. So I think that was the major thing because you know we've got our recycling and our composting so our waste is sorted and then I think the next thing was the water filter so not using plastic bottles so you know I can get water in the tap and I know I can drink it and be full all our metal yeah so it's that way and being vegan I think as well that was a there's three there, not one yeah (laughs) that's fine that's fine actually can I ask you a question as well because I don't know if anyone can help me with this. This is my biggest guilt that I, I have environmentally and I know I'm messing up and I don't know what to do about it. Rio is 15, has to wear nappies and financially it cost me a fortune, but I know it's terrible, terrible for the environment. So it'd be really intriguing one day if anybody could advise me yeah, how well, to get I, around that. I think definitely there might be companies out there that does the, like the, reusable ones the washable ones but obviously you know with a big 15 year old boy it's not a a baby's nappy yeah yeah yeah, exactly so I think that it's that's something that could maybe be looked into and maybe some of the people that are making you know the reusable sanitary 
pads or something, I will definitely have a look into that. And I mean, if there's any of the crazy birds that actually, you know, know of something to try and get that, because I think, you know, that you might not be the only person in the I'm world. I'm definitely not the only person no. with a 15 year old. And there's, you know, people for life that have to do this. So there's, yeah. So it'd be great to know the solution. Exactly. So we are going to move into our final five. So the first one is, what is one social media account that you follow? I don't really follow just one in particular. When the um, World Games Special Olympics was on, I was really addicted to that because that was just so emotional and special to watch. So I watched that continuously. Um, but then I just send various ones. I've got friends who work with sustainability. So I look at theirs and I look at anything to do with vegan um, ideas especially with the kids for recipes. Okay. Yeah, so it's those, and anything to do with the disability world. So not one particular, I look around. Awesome. And what is your hope for Mama Earth going forward? More kindness, more respect. And my biggest hope is that the next generation makes that change to correct our mess. And what advice can you give our crazy birds this week to help out Mama Earth? I'm not one to give advice because I don't think I'm that knowledgeable, but I would say small things like that we're doing as a family. Just think about, you know, if you can do those water filters, think about your fruits and veg, not using plastic. Um, look at your waste. And what is one sustainability fact that you like to use in a room with people not yet on a sustainable journey? Again, I'm a person that doesn't give things like that because one, I'll always forget facts. So, and I don't feel I'm that knowledgeable to be able to debate and argue back. But my thing is, is, is by example. So like I said, going to the supermarket and doing those things and hopefully, you know, you're using a cloth bag, it will have that ripple on effect. And is there any, any conversation, like when, when you talk to people about certain stuff, whether it is about disability or something that you like to tell people about? So yeah, whether it is your, your water filter or that you use the water filter now instead of... I, I use that in a conversation. I like to let people know because I would never say you should go and do this because I don't think that's in my place to do mm. it. But I will tell people that I've done it and how good I feel for not having to use plastic bottles and that just feels really good. And things with straws as well. People see me or look at me oddly as I pull my metal straw out of my handbag, you know, for the children. But yeah, so I kind of say, well, you know, I'm helping the environment. Mm. And so I'll always bring that into conversation and, and, and tell it. them where I get it from. That's an interesting thing, which is about the straw, which you've said, you know, obviously you give it to, to your children. So with Rio as well. So he would typically use the straw as well, the metal straw. See, that's the thing. Uh, Rio often needs straws. Exactly. So when it when I didn't have a metal straw, I, d I did have to use whatever straw I could get. Yeah. But I'll have a guilt about it, and especially with my friends who are so into <laughs> sustainability, and rightfully so, and I'd feel so guilty. But I'm like, but my son has to have a straw, and I don't know yeah. what to do. But the good thing about the metal one, well, with the plastic ones, he would chew on them as well. So they would, you know, you, you get through a couple, not just one in a drink. But the metal ones, he doesn't chew them for him anyway. So it's, it's actually worked out quite well. And yeah. It's, um, because that's one of the things just while while I've got you here, you know, I get a lot of times, obviously, we sell the straws and, you know, I talk about, you know, people not using the straws. And one of the things that I always get thrown in like a curveball with is what about people with disabilities? So for you, you would say it's kind of easy enough to carry around a reusable straw because, you know, your once, son would need it. Once I knew where to buy them from, then yes, yeah. I keep it in my bag. So I have no excuse. Yeah, so you've got to have access to buying one yeah. or ordering one. So the other thing that is difficult for people in my shoes is that sometimes it's chewing. Mm. 
and it's a natural, you know, wanting to chew on things. So the metal straws can actually hurt Damage, some of the children's yeah. teeth. I've never seen them here, but I'm sure there are. But I, I there are. I don't think they're not made of plastic, but you can it's get them. Got the silicone, yeah. I think, yeah. But these things are really difficult to get hold of. So have, having easier access would be easier. So I think there's a lot of children like Rio that would need those on them. Mm. Maybe the bamboo straws would be better as well because yeah. they can't. Um, so yes, there's a lot of people in my shoes that they have to have straws. But yeah, you can order them, keep them in your handbag. Oh well, yeah. There you've got some advice as well. So where can people actually find you guys? Well, if you go on to Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter and just go and search Team Angel Wolf and you will find us. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Delphine, for taking the time to talk to our crazy birds today. And you and your family has, has honestly been such an inspiration to me. And I'm excited for more people to become aware of what you guys are doing and I mean, just to kind of go onto your social media, I will definitely link it in the show notes. And just to see some video clips, you know, whether it is Rio singing and making my day or whether it is, you know, you guys running along and doing a triathlon with Rio, it's really something so inspiring. And I think all of us today can actually take a note out of Rio's book and live in the moment. So thank you so much for that. Thank you very much. Very grateful. Thank you. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the show notes for this episode at mamaearthtalk.com. Follow at Design by Mariska on Instagram or email hello at mamaearthtalk.com and let me know if there's a topic you'd like me to talk about. I love hearing from all you crazy birds. New episodes are uploaded every Monday with a bonus Top Tip Thursday every Thursday. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss anything. Mama Earth has a voice and it's us crazy birds.